I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of The Woman in Tech Show, a podcast about what we work on, not what it feels like to be a woman in tech. For more information about the show, go to wit.fm. Advancements in technology have enabled us to share information much faster. We can start a blog, share information on social media, or create a podcast. Jasmine Alamedin, founder and host of The Witty Podcast, explained why and how she started the show. We talked about the challenges and the things she learned from doing this. We also talked about data journalism and the intersection between technology and journalism. Yasmin studied communication at Cornell University and is currently pursuing a master's degree in journalism at Columbia University. Before we move on with the interview, I'm excited to announce that season one of the 5-Minute Mentor podcast is available. This is a podcast where you'll get advice from prominent people in tech, authors, journalists, artists, and more. Go to mentors.fm for more information about the show. Thank you. Yasmin Alamedin, a fellow podcaster, is joining us today. Yasmin, welcome to the Women in Tech show. Thank you. So excited to be here. Today, we're going to talk about various things like tech and journalism and communications. First, I want to begin with your work on the podcast WITI, which stands for Women in Tech Talk to Yes. We first talked back in 2017 when you were just getting started with the podcast and with the goal to have women in technology share their stories. Can you explain in more detail what the podcast is about? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we did talk really in the early days, which is amazing. Basically, I just started working in technology around four years ago. And while I was doing that, I was having amazing conversations with incredible women who were doing great things in technology. And I felt like I just wanted to record those conversations and share them to the world. So I did that. And uh, basically, as you said, the mission is to share that you can be a woman in tech in many different ways. And it's really important to share how different women are making incredible things or navigating this industry in different ways. One thing I really like is that there's a question that you always ask your guests at the beginning of the show, which is, what is their earliest memory of technology? So I want to ask you now if you can talk about you know, some of your earliest memories of technology. Ooh, that's such a great question to ask me because I thought about it by hearing all these amazing stories of women on my podcast. But um, I think it was honestly kind of instant messenger in middle school, just go or like elementary school, being able to go home after school and still connect with my friends and share jokes and join little group chats, however archaic they were. I love that. And I've always loved this ability for technology to connect people wherever they are. And that's so important right now, specifically. Yeah, that's great. I can definitely relate to that. Yeah, exactly. So that was my first and earliest memory. And I still think that's such an important part of technology. And you've done over 60 interviews in this podcast. Have there been some interesting answers that you remember by asking this question? Yeah, there's so many interesting answers. I think that one thing that always sticks out to me was, is there's always some kind of personal memory that brings the person along throughout their kind of challenges um, throughout their tech careers 
or it's kind of a person, a role model, it's either a teacher or a mother or father or a, you know, role model that they look up to and then they pursue technology. So clearly it's a very kind of personal thing about what pushes people to, you know, take this path. I want to talk a little bit about what goes on behind the scenes and doing a podcast. I don't know about you, but I remember the first show that I recorded, I thought I nearly lost the audio and the interview ended up being much shorter than what I expected. What was it like for you recording those first few shows at the beginning? Yeah, it was definitely similar. I remember just being such a novice, being like, okay, I'll make a podcast. Then there were so many questions about how do I record? What do I record on? Wow, this sounds terrible. How can I fix it? All of that. But I think the beauty of podcasting, and you probably will agree with me, is that every episode, it gets better. And every episode, you start you know, improving your questions or improving your audio software or, you know, I have a great freelancing team that helps me produce now and it's just along the way you improve and that's been the best part of podcasting for me. And a lot of the tools in podcasting have changed since you got started in 2017. Back then, were there things that you found particularly difficult or challenging in addition to you know, figuring out how to record and that kind of stuff. Was there anything else? Mm, I think the fact that it was such an uncharted territory back then, there wasn't kind of like, here's how you create a podcast, here are the five things. It was more, I feel like I was data collecting and reading all I could and then putting it together in my you know, on my own. So um, now there's a lot more helpful resources and tools are being built out to serve a lot of different purposes. But before I was kind of just like, okay, this works. I'm going to add that to this. This is my own process. This is my own thought, like trial and error. So it was a lot of figuring out ambiguity for sure. What have been some of the things that you learned or ways in which you've grown from doing the podcast from starting from scratch, talking to people. Are there any skills that you attribute to this? For sure. I think it's so helpful to be able to like build your own or like host your own business, basically. Uh, you realize that you have all this creative energy for yourself and then that's really scary too. You're like, oh, I, I better make this good. It's, you know, has my name on it. So the idea of how to build a business, how to get support, how to get people to even listen to you for more than two seconds is really a skill I learned. And then also just, you know, being able to have a conversation with anybody is such a great skill I learned. Just asking questions, listening to their answers and forming a bond is another skill I learned. In terms of the interviews that you've done, what have been some insights that you've gotten from these conversations that you're having with other women in technology? So many. I feel like I always ask my guests to give me a few tangible tips that the, you know, my audience is a little younger, so the younger you know, generation can apply to their career as they grow through um, the tech industry. And it really ends up being very like helpful day-to-day -day tips like, okay, if you're in a meeting, don't, you know, just, it's a lot of like fake it till you make it, ask the questions, take up space. Um, if you're negotiating salary, make sure that you have few different points to say I've done x y and z for this many months or I or I've brought in this much money to this company just like so many ways that women can do very small things to empower themselves in the tech industry so that was heartening to me just like these small little habits or 
tricks you can do to help a lifelong career. Where can listeners find the podcast? Yeah, they can find the podcast if they search Witty Podcast on any of the podcasting platforms, or if they want to check out our website, wittypod.com. And uh, we also have a LinkedIn. So if you just search a Witty Podcast on LinkedIn. Yeah, and obviously they can connect with me on LinkedIn by searching my name or on Twitter, Y-A-L-A-M-E-D-D. I want to talk now a little bit about journalism and tech. You studied communication at Cornell University, and you're currently doing a master's degree in journalism at Columbia University. In your opinion, what is the role of technology in journalism these days? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think it plays such an important role. I mean, from the beginning days of technology, like the literal printing press and you know, cameras being invented, they played such a role in giving people information quicker and faster, but also exacerbating a lot of issues like, you know, is the picture framed in a way that changes the story? Or, you know, does the rapidity of technology make the accuracy a little bit wrong or something like that? And now we see this more than ever with the fact that anybody can take a picture of something and post it on Twitter and it can go viral. So I love this interplay. I think I'm such a fan of technology, so I'm always err on the side that technology is going to help journalism and help people learn more and educate themselves. But I know that there are a lot of ethical um, gray areas that we have to definitely work on. What are some of those, you know, ethical gray areas? Can you give, you know, an example of this? I mean, right now with the coronavirus, everybody is like waiting for different ways or anything that can help like kind of show a good light on this or show some hope. And I think that leads journalists or leads different outlets to share things really quickly and share maybe ideas or vaccinations or anything really quickly or users themselves on Instagram or Twitter and Facebook to share a post that say, hey, look, the, you know, the curve is being flattened or these are the 10 ways to solve or like make your symptoms go away. But that's definitely a gray area there that like, are we doing this? Are we sharing these things by before fact-checking them, before uh, making sure they're reviewed by health professionals? Or are we just clicking send because that's a picture we saw, you know, in a WhatsApp group? <laughs> exactly. Do you feel like these kinds of things can be because of how you mentioned earlier now, you know, we can put information out there faster, just the click of a button before it was a longer process. You have to print the newspaper. So you feel like this matters? Yeah, for sure. I think it's the vehicle, right? So it's just the fact that you or I can post something right now and everyone in the world potentially could see it um, who has a phone with them or has connection to the internet. So that brings a lot of danger and ethical gray area. But because I'm such a fan of technology, I also think it brings a lot of people together and democratizes kind of information sharing as well. Yeah, exactly. What I'm thinking now is, sure, you can post it quickly, but you can also fact check or, you know, message somebody faster and get a response. So it could be a mix. Exactly. Yeah. One side of the kind of journalism and technology intersection that I love is that journalists also are using technology to tell stories through data. Maybe they're analyzing or visualizing data in a way that 
they wouldn't have found an insight before. A lot of kind of a lot of stories are made throughout that, or or they're communicated with data in a better way than just writing a sentence, right? So there's two sides of that coin, and I always think technology is for the better, for sure. Yes, I want to talk about that since you brought it up, and I saw your focusing on journalism with um, data in particular. What are some characteristics of data journalism? Yeah, for sure. I always think of it like data is just like a source or a subject that you're going to interview. So, but you're going to handle it a little differently than a source. You're going to gather the data from some kind of source or yourself by, you know, manually doing that. And then you're going to vet it and make sure it's correct and the numbers are lining up. And then you're going to analyze it. And usually some interesting findings come out of that. And then you're going to communicate that data in a way that makes sense for a person who has no idea about data and doesn't want to, but just wants to read a cool story. So I, that's just one side of, it's just a part of journalism that's exactly like video journalism or photography journalism. It's another way of telling stories. What is an example of a piece of data journalism that you've read recently or that you remember from several years ago? Yeah, for sure. I think to jump out immediately at a recent one is Nicholas Kristof worked with a lot of different people on the at the New York Times and did a simulation of, okay, this claim, uh, President Trump wants to reopen America, what would that look like? And he actually worked with a lot of data to allow the reader to toggle with the visualizations and say, okay, if they opened up now, what would happen? If the weather were to warm up, what would happen to the cases? If people were to get tested earlier, what would happen? So people were able to play around with the data and the, and the story itself would change. The words actually changed, which was amazing. And it was just a good way of showing like you're putting the story into people's hands as they're reading it. And another story that I think was around five years ago, Michael Keller was at Al Jazeera at the time, and now he's at the New York Times, but he is an amazing data journalist. And he, at the time of the refugee crisis at the beginning, he was trying to share how important and how poignant the refugee crisis was by saying, okay, so if the refugee crisis in the world was happening in your hometown, this is what the displacement would look like, and actually showed it in different places. You could type in your hometown and see what would happen to your hometown in a visual way. And it was just such a good way of putting that to the people and making sure that argument really came through. Exactly. I really like these examples because they're about projecting into what could happen. You can simulate different outcomes and you can decide which outcome do you want to support versus having a piece that just go over, you know, historic numbers of what happened and analyzing, which is also valid, but I really like this where the person can be in control of. You do. <laughs> I want to switch gears a little bit now and talk about your career and your trajectory so far. I saw you've worked at various tech companies like IBM and Shopify, and you went to college in communications. So I'm curious, what were some of the reasons why you looked into the tech domain? I always love this intersection between kind of storytelling or communicating and technology, um, as seen in my podcast. So after Cornell, I wanted to work in the tech industry, but in kind of a communication content space. And because, as I'm sure you agree, it's such a 
fast moving space and it's so with so many smart people but also it's it's a place where these products really help people and allow people to connect or allow people to solve problems so I wanted to be in that space and I I loved my time working at IBM and then Shopify and I will see what happens after I graduate as well. <laughs> and like you said you were at IBM and was this your first job out of school? Yes exactly. I'm a little curious of your time there because you know IBM has been a company that that's been around for over a hundred years. It was founded in 1911. What were some of the highlights of working at IBM at such a big company? Were there any key learnings during this time? It's a great question. I think it was a great place to start my tech career because, as you said, it's such a legacy company. So I entered in a kind of rotational um, college rotational program. So I was able to learn all parts of the the suite that IBM has and they have I, they have software hardware services all of this so um, being introduced to all of that spectrum is very helpful and then also just the beginnings of learning of you know how to how important it is to bond with your coworkers, how to learn how to you know work with a manager for the first time and how to do performance reviews all of that was such a I think a good place to learn all of the um, important first steps of a job Yeah, exactly. Similar things happened for me. I joined a big company, Microsoft, after school, and I know things can be very different joining a smaller company versus a big company. Exactly. There was a lot of process, and it was helpful for um, someone just stepping in for the first time, being like, what is tech, you know? Especially in my early days, I felt a lot like I was still in school, but just getting paid, it just felt like... You know, there are all these resources, I have access to all these tools, and it sounds like it was a very similar situation for you. Exactly. And yeah, I would be remiss if I didn't say also the people. I really bonded with the cohort I came in with, and now we're all in really different places, but we talk all the time, and I literally just had a Zoom chat with a lot of them last night. So it was a great way to enter the tech industry, for sure. Well, Yasmin, thank you for coming on the show. It's been great chatting with you. Yeah, it was so great chatting with you. Thank you again.